join with me in prayer. Loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each one of our hearts be pleasing to you, the living word. Amen. This morning's scripture, often referred to as the Fellowship of Believers, is a beautiful passage about the joys of community. These early believers were filled with Easter enthusiasm. The resurrection of Christ was recent, and the lingering power of Pentecost galvanized them to share the good news of hope and new life in Christ. Their love for God overflowed as they prayed and ate together. They selflessly reached out to one another and to those in need. Reading this passage reminds me of how loved and alive I feel when I take communion with all of you on Sundays. When I serve and when I take communion, I remember all of the places where I have broken bread before, and I recall the faces of others I have worshipped with and learned from in my life. Community, truly, is a central part of growth in the Christian life. Our Methodist founder, John Wesley, modeled his famous small groups from this morning's scripture. He saw the need for believers to closely watch over one another in love in order to stay close to God, continuously mature in our faith. My confirmation class this spring with Jerry and Rosa are a part of. I can't tell you how awesome it was to hear our teens say that the best part of coming to church was all of you who call them by name each week. Community at its best intimately welcomes us all by name. It shows us that we belong in the kingdom of God. Community at its best is filled with diverse people. The young, the old, and everyone in between those with seemingly nothing in common. In her book, Leaving Church, Episcopal priest and author Barbara Brown Taylor describes the communal experience of hearing scripture in this way. Although we could have sat quietly with Bibles on our laps and read these things to ourselves, we took turns reading them out loud to each other instead. The words sounded different when Klein read than they did when Kathy read them. They sounded different from the mouth of a young mother than they did from the mouth of a widow. This was because the words did not come straight off the page. They percolated up through the silt and gravel of real people's lives. Isn't that lovely? We need the silt and gravel of one another's experiences to root us in Christ's love and to unite us to serve others. I always think of that quote when we sing the last line from this morning's opening hymn. God will reign and will walk with each other as sisters and brothers united in love. Most of my experiences of being in a church family are full of these moments of feeling loved by God through others. Some Christians, however, are uncomfortable with the term church family, and understandably so. For many of us, familial experiences are ones of dysfunction, of ostracism and pain. Some of you may know my dad is a Presbyterian minister. Perhaps it's because I'm a pastor's kid that I spent my childhood witnessing the church behind the scenes. So in my opinion, because it's a close-knit community like a family, the church can also be a place of dysfunction. Even healthy churches full of healthy people suffer from grouchiness from time to time. We serve on countless committees. We can get overworked. As a result, we can feel resentful. At times, our hearts are anything but glad and generous. 
And so as much as I love this passage of the early church, I'm honestly plagued with the tiniest bit of skepticism. How were these believers so joyful? Weren't they ever the least bit grouchy with each other? How could they possibly have everything in common? Didn't they argue over who to feed and what possessions to sell? Did they all just really peacefully agree on which kind of bread to break? Every church has a kind of bread that has to be discussed. (laughs) At some points in my life, my sister and my mother and I have all been at different churches, and it always feels like somebody is in charge of the bread, so I have run to multiple grocery stores for multiple churches on Sunday mornings looking for the specific communion bread. Breaking bread or sharing meals in community are often what connects us to one another. As we share food with our families or at church, both our bodies and our souls are nourished. We eat from recipes passed down from us, passed down to us from others, which remind us of loved ones in the past. We recount our days to one another over dinner. We stop to listen to one another. Think of how Jesus ministered by eating with his friends and disciples and outsiders. Consider the kitchen and home-related language of the 23rd Psalm. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. With all this biblical table and home imagery, I find it ironic that my father often warned me that the scariest part of the church he first pastored was the dysfunction which lurked in the church kitchen. And when I was eight, hanging around before a dinner, I saw what he was talking about when I witnessed a woman slap another woman. The heated argument was most likely over something ridiculously trivial, like a casserole recipe or a placement of silverware. Maybe it was about more. When my horrified dad burst into the church to assess the damage, the women of the church assured him that it was all okay. The perpetrator and victim were family, daughter and mother-in-law. Such a perfect instance of church and family dysfunction coming together. I don't tell this story to demonize these ladies. I may never have slapped anyone in church, but I'm not innocent of expressing frustration in unhealthy ways or letting my issues get in the way of the joy of community. None of us are. So if this scripture in chapter 2 of Acts is the honeymoon period of the church, today, or when I saw that act at age 8, the honeymoon is definitely over. Here we are in a Christian community, arguing, hurting one another before breaking bread. So what are we to do with a text like today's? How can we possibly get to this almost utopian perfection of the first Christian community? I think we have to recognize where that perfection lies. Perfection lies only in Christ's healing love, not within the people in the early church. The disciples in the early church didn't create this model of teaching, praying, and eating in fellowship. They simply mirrored the life of Jesus— Even as a young boy, Jesus went to the temple to be with others. He prayed with others. He ate with others. 
he did not minister alone. But it certainly would have been easier if he had. Those disciples sinned. They whined and complained. They frequently misunderstood what Jesus meant when he told parables to illustrate his ideas. They ultimately denied him. The silt and gravel of real people's lives, as Barbara Brown Taylor describes, can be rough and messy. When we watch over one another in love, sharing our lives and our meals, we become intimate and vulnerable with one another. When we expose the rawness of who we are, we will at times inevitably let each other down and hurt one another. And when we do, we must forgive and one another and forgive ourselves as Christ forgives us. This is not to say that we should choose to remain in relationships and situations where we are abused, but we must remember the perfect healing love of Christ Jesus, the perfect love with men's all brokenness, even and especially broken relationships in our churches and in our families. This resurrection hope of the Easter season reminds us of the new relationships offered to us. Through Christ, we are given endless chances to love one another more fully each day. Before we go out and serve the hurting and the needy and be Christ's hands and feet in the world, we must remember to be like Jesus to those who are closest to us in our communities. We must be patient, forgiving, joyful. Perhaps this is one of the most difficult challenges we will face as we expose our vulnerabilities to the ones closest to us and see people beneath the surface of everyday pleasantries. But it is also the most exciting and transformative way to live in the Easter promise of Christ's healing love. Amen.